0: Good morning. Well, if you're here for the first time at LifePoint today, I just want to say welcome and thank you so much for sharing part of your morning with us. I want to say everybody who is watching this on the screen at our West location, the same thing. Thanks for being here, especially if you're checking us out for the first time and just maybe seeing what church is all about or what LifePoint is all about. They tell me that the camera adds uh, weight. So if you're at West, uh, I'm taking care of myself. I'm good. I have watched myself on video. It's not a pretty thing. So thank you all for enduring uh, at our West location. I'll see you in a couple of weeks in real life. Well, we're in the fourth part of a series called The Teacher. And what we've been talking about is what Jesus really means when he calls himself teacher, but also many, many times throughout his ministry. In fact, most of the time when people addressed him, they addressed him as... Teacher. And over the last several weeks, we've been talking about how Jesus being teacher means that he had this historical impact like no one else. And it was real. And the world is a different place because a man named Jesus walked on the earth. Not only did our teacher just walk on the earth, he, he actually called people to follow him. And what he meant by follow me was, I want you to come and do the things that I've been doing. It means that every person in this room can have an impact on the world around them. And our teacher, Jesus, also relates to us on a very human level, even when it comes to our temptations. If you've missed any of those first three messages in this series, just go to our website, download the podcast, and you can get yourself caught up as we've talked about Jesus, our teacher. I was in college when I really took church seriously, first really started to go when I actually wanted to. Mom made me go growing up, but I went in college for the first time when I actually wanted to go. And I remember the preacher at this little church I went to, I I was just captivated by him when he would speak. I'd never heard anyone speak with that kind of conviction, read from a Bible that I actually understood what he was saying. And and I, I can remember sitting there with A pen and a piece of paper every week, writing it down. And then I would go get the cassette. And for those of you down front, that's like a thing they used to record on many years ago. Precursor to the CD. Way before MP3 was ever said. But I would get the cassette and I would go home and I would listen. And I can remember thinking, when I was going through life, I wonder what Jeff would do here. His name was Jeff. And, and, And when I began to teach, I would think, Okay, how would Jeff communicate this? And I can remember thinking, I want to be like him. There's things, qualities in his life. And he knows that. I tell him that. He's still doing the same thing. We're still in, in somewhat frequent contact with each other. And I think, well, how would he present this? He had this huge impact on my life as one of my teachers. And when Jesus teaches, when we read stories, particularly the ones we're talking about in the first four books of the New Testament, those stories are there for a reason. They're there for us to learn. They're there for us to internalize. Well, what does it mean that Jesus said this or that he went there or that he said this particular thing to this group of people? Those aren't just there for exciting reading. They are are there to teach us what our teacher wants us to know. If you're just checking out God, you're just checking out church, this is a perfect series to be a part of and to come back and listen to as we talk about what it means that Jesus is our teacher. There's some Bibles coming down the aisles right now. If you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand. The ushers will give you one. We give these out every week at Life Point Because we want everybody that wants one to have a Bible in their hand. So you can take it home with you if you want it. Or you can borrow it and leave it in the back on the way out. The scriptures that I'll read from are also on the screen today. John chapter 1. It says this about Jesus. He's also called the Word. And here's what it says about Jesus the Word. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Have you ever met anybody that when you're talking about him, you know, behind their back? Not that you do that. But if you, do, if you did talk about him behind their back, you would say, he's full of it. She's just full of it. She's full of you've you've, ever, you've thought that about somebody now. Tell the truth, this church. Come on, you've thought that when somebody's telling a big story or going on about something, you've thought, well, they're just full of it. Well, Jesus was full of something in a good way. He was a hundred percent full of grace and a hundred percent full of truth. And when Jesus started his teaching journey, his teaching ministry. It began to be displayed in every story that he told. You know, every week I could just get up and talk about grace because that's what Jesus talked about over and over and displayed and exemplified over and over and over. Jesus, when we pick up this story I'm going to read in just a minute, he was, he's getting so popular in the, in the, around the time that his ministry started. He's starting to get really popular. People are starting to follow him. And the religious people of Jesus' day, they were getting very upset that this teacher, Jesus, was attracting all of this attention. And especially in this story I want to look at, he displays grace and truth like they never could as religious leaders. And so Jesus was showing up to teach at the temple. And like always when he showed up, a big crowd was following him. This is recorded in the book of John chapter 8, beginning at verse 2. It says this. Early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her, what do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. Now, obviously, this is a setup. They're trying to get Jesus somehow in a situation where they can can put dents in his credibility with the people who were listening to him teach. So this crowd is gathered. Then these religious leaders come and they throw this naked woman in front of the crowd in front of Jesus. So you've got the crowd You've got these religious leaders and everybody's probably starting to pick up rocks. They're bending down going, yep, I see where this is going. And they're standing there with rocks in their hands. And then here's Jesus being questioned. What are we? What, are we, what do you think we should do, Jesus? Moses says to stone her. See, these religious leaders, they thought, well, we're going to come up with a question so hard that no matter how Jesus answers it, he's going to be in trouble. See, when religious leaders start to lose control, they really freak out. If you've ever been around religion in a way that when you saw leaders start to lose control, they start to do things very uncharacteristic. They may say things they wouldn't have said before. They may be dishonest in ways they would never be dishonest before because religion is really all about control. Jesus is about a relationship, not religion. So, Mankind created this religion, and here are these Jewish religious leaders about to lose control. So they're, like, pulling out all the stops, trying to figure out how can we trick Jesus. And then in this situation, it seems really clear. This woman is having sex with somebody she's not married to. That's against the law of Moses. She got caught. She's guilty. Why did they even have to ask Jesus? Why didn't they just go ahead and take care of it? Because she's a pawn. Jesus is, they're trying to trick him. Because if Jesus had said, so here they are, all the attention's now on Jesus. The religious leaders are asking the question. And if Jesus says, no, 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 don't stone her. Then they're going to say he's a heretic because he doesn't respect the law of Moses. And in their minds, they're like, and we got him then. If he says no, then nobody's going to listen to him anymore. And we're going to get our credibility back because, hey, If you don't respect the law of Moses, nobody's going to listen to you. But if Jesus says, yes, stone her, then they're going to say, wait, wait, wait a minute. We might be religious leaders. We're not political leaders. And because the Jews at that time were in subjection to the politics of Rome, they had to go ask the Romans and get permission before they could stone anybody. So they're thinking there's no way Jesus can answer this question without him losing credibility. And so they're probably just there like, yeah, finally, we got him where we want him. We're, we're, this is what we want to do. And, and it's interesting, the, the lady in this story is totally devalued. And religion does that to people. It devalues the human side of us. It still does. If you've ever been caught in the trap of religion, you know exactly what I'm talking about. These people had no concern for this lady that was naked in front of Jesus and everybody else. No regard for her as a human. She was simply their pawn. And she had to sit there feeling dirty, worthless, ashamed, and trapped. She would have known the popularity of Jesus. She would have known the stern following and enforcing of the other religious leaders that were there. And she would have probably been thinking, this is it. And just she's waiting for the stones to start being thrown at her until she's dead. But they ask Jesus the question, and then this is what happens. What do we do, Jesus? What do, we, what do you say? And, he, and it says, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. Now, theologians have debated centuries. Well, What could Jesus have been writing? Was he writing like her sins and maybe blotting them out? Was he, was he just kind of doodling to take his eyes off of a naked woman that would have been standing there? And maybe, maybe he was just doing something that would have gotten the attention of everybody. So they would stop staring at this woman in her shame. We don't know. But he bends down and he starts to write something in the dirt. And it says this. Because they think they've got him trapped. And it says, they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up and he said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned cast the first stone. Then he stooped down and wrote in the dust again. I know what he was writing that time. He was like, probably made a circle with an X and looked up to heaven and was like, right here. Just put the lightning bolt right there. I'm going to step back. Because he's probably pretty frustrated with these guys. He says, hey, if you are without sin, have at it. Let her have it. That was his answer. In verse 9 it says, When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one. Just quietly backing out. Beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. And the teacher who was full of grace offered it to this loose woman who deserved punishment according to the law. Who was probably jumping from bed to bed to bed. Man to man to man to man. Living a detestable lifestyle. She was brought before her accusers to be stoned but she got another chance and she got another chance because the one who is full of grace said, I don't condemn you. I don't condemn you. She was sure she was dead, but in that one statement, I don't condemn you. Our teacher showed us how we're supposed to treat other people when they've harmed us. Now you have to understand something about grace, grace and approval are two different things. Jesus did not approve of anything she had done. And you don't have to approve any of anything anyone's done to harm you. But you can offer grace. See, by us offering grace, there's no way we can ever be harmed by that. By us offering grace doesn't mean that we let people walk all over us and we allow people to mistreat us. It's just us extending grace and forgiveness to others. That's what Jesus did. See, there's this there's this principle in scripture that God gives us things and we're supposed to give that out. See, if you've been betrayed or hurt, God has offered asking you to offer other people grace. Because there was a day and maybe today, maybe now, You're living with the realization that God has given you so much grace. So this principle is God gives it to me and I give it to others. If you're taking notes, this is something that you should write down. God expects me to be generous with what he's given me. If God's given you money and we all probably have some money because we're here. We drove here, walked here. We're going to eat. We're going to eat tomorrow. We're going to sleep tonight in our home. And so we're blessed. And God says, take that blessing And bless others with it. It's an expectation. And the same thing is true when it comes to grace. Take that blessing that I've given you. Grace, forgiveness, unmerited favor. Take that and give it to others. But see, Jesus doesn't just leave it at, I don't condemn you. He goes a little further. He doesn't just say, you're not condemned, see ya. He just dished up more grace than this woman probably had ever thought was possible in her life. And now he's about to share truth. Because remember, Jesus is full of grace and he's full of truth. Because I'm sure there were people who saw Jesus say, Neither do I condemn you that thought, well, that's not fair. uh, There's nothing fair about that. You're right. She deserved punishment according to the law. But here's one thing that religious leaders failed and still today, religious people fail to realize. See, the religious leaders thought if we have enough rules, enough law, enough do's and don'ts, then we'll keep people in line. But what they failed to realize is that grace leads to more obedience than a list of rules ever could. And when you have grace, it's a motivation to obey way more than do this, don't do that. In fact, do's and don'ts have a way of, they make us, us want to do. If it says don't, it makes us want to do it anyway. If it says do it, it makes us want to not do it. You know, if, if the sign says wet paint, you want to touch it. Now, based on your personality, some of you are touchers, some maybe not. But all of us would go, I wonder if it's really wet. I wonder if it's still, maybe it's dry. And there's something about when we find out where the line is, we want to get like right up against the line just because maybe it's a little more fun out there on the edge. Maybe it's a little more fun when I get close to the do's and don'ts. When, when I was growing up, my grandfather had a big influence on my life, and, and he would tell me things to do and things not to do. And I can specifically remember. He wanted to have some talk with me, like a man to man talk. And, and so he, he literally told me all these things I was not supposed to do now that I was a teenager. Most of them I'd never even considered. But now he gives me this list and I'm like, some of that looks fun. Like I think I would enjoy that. And just the fact that the, the rules were there, it made me want to break them. That's what rules do. They cause us to become Rule breakers. You know that whatever the speed limit is, you're going to set your cruise at three miles over because you heard that cops don't stop you unless it's three miles over, right? I mean, if the speed limit was 100, you'd set it 103 just because, hey, you can go a little bit over and not get caught. There's something about our human nature that makes us want to just push on up there to the edge. So Jesus didn't recite Mosaic law to her. He could have said, hey, give her a scroll. Tell her to read wherever it says in the Old Testament, wherever it says in the Bible. Tell her to read what it says about adultery and what can happen to you and why you shouldn't. Then he didn't say, now read that again, lady. Now stop doing he didn't say it like that. He offered her grace because reciting law to her would not have caused her to change. He gave her grace that she didn't deserve. Now, what if I started pouring out grace on relationships in my life? What if I started pouring out grace to my kids, to my parents, to friends who maybe I have conflict with? What if I just started pouring out grace, not focusing on, well, you don't understand. You don't know what they did. Well, they, they may have done something horrible. They may deserve to be totally banished from you forever. But that doesn't mean you can't offer them Grace. So Jesus shared that kind of grace with this woman. But he didn't leave it there. He didn't just say, I don't condemn you, have a good day. That's not what he said. This is what he said after he said, neither do I condemn you. Then he said in the second part of verse 11, go and sin no more. See, grace is what says I don't condemn you. Truth says you're sinning and you need to stop. Truth says there is a clear line between right and wrong and clearly you are wrong. Stop it. There's nothing unloving about Jesus saying that. There's nothing ungraceful about him saying that. Jesus said, stop sinning. I I don't condemn you. Now stop sinning. He gave her grace and then he gave her truth. See, we live in a world that that essentially says, give me grace. Oh, I love that grace stuff. That is awesome. Grace. You mean I get stuff I don't deserve. Give me some of that. Give me the grace. I got to have that. Well, let me tell you what you need do. No, no, no. Don't tell me what to do, man. I live my life the way I want to. I don't want any, nobody telling me what to do. So people want grace and nobody would say, ah, take your grace and jump off. Nobody's going to say that. They're going to go, yeah, I want some grace. But if you start trying to speak truth, most people are like, hey, settle down a little bit. What do you mean I'm not supposed to do this? That's how the world works today. There's two big enemies to truth. Big ones. First enemy of truth is relativism. And relativism basically is just that, hey, truth changes, Uh, there's really really no such thing as absolute truth. It kind of evolves through the ages. What might have been true in this culture is not true in that culture. And there's just no such thing as absolute truth, which is an absolute statement, which doesn't make sense. Because then the whole argument of no absolute truth breaks down when you say there's no such thing as absolute truth. But relativism just says, hey, it's all good, man. It might be, it might, it's gonna change. It's gonna be different a few years than it is now. So, truth just kind of moves and meanders. It's just kind of this blob that's not really defined, and that's relativism. Then there's another enemy of truth, which is subjectivism. And this is even more dangerous. Subjectivism says this I, the subject, have the right to determine what's right and wrong without submitting my judgment to any authority outside myself. Basically, if it feels good, if it makes me happy, then, and I'm sincere, then I ought to be able to do it because I'll determine my own standard. I saw it on Oprah. She said, if you just dig deep down inside, you'll find this part of truth that you just, that you'll just know is true. And then that's how you determine how you're going to live. So that's me and I'll determine what's right. I'll determine what's wrong. That's relativism is the standard of truth resides inside of me. Do you really want the standard of truth to reside inside, reside inside of you? I mean, think about your moods. Do your moods go up and down? And tell the truth. They do. I mean, you, you probably don't hold the same mood for more than a day. You're in it up. So you want to be the one that can decide one day you're going to work and the right music's on and everything's aligned perfectly and things are great. The next day somebody cuts you off and you're mad at everybody else the rest of the day and you want to be the standard that decides what truth is. When you can't even keep a mood the same for very many hours in a row. My, my dog at home, she, she reads my moods really well. She knows. I don't know what it's a sense that, that she has. And, and there's some days that I come in and I could honestly kick the dog across the, the house. I could. If you're an animal lover, you think, I cannot believe that pastor said that. It's true. I'm just sharing. I'm being real, okay? It's what I want to do. It's not what I do. But I, some days I'm like, all right, shut up. And I just want to do that. But I don't. And somehow she knows to stay in a, the right proximity from me when I'm in a mood like that. I don't know where it comes from. But the dog knows it. But then there are other days. She is a lovable little creature. She'll come up and ask for attention, and and she'll pet, let me pet her, and she you know puts her head on my leg, and it's sweet and nice, and and you know we have this good relationship going. She can read those moods. So do you want somebody with moods like that? And if you're honest, you do the same thing. Is that where you want truth to come from? You know, you know one of the. One of the most dangerous things we can say to young people is follow your heart. Just follow your heart. My heart's got me in a lot of messes. I I mean, it's got me places I didn't really want to be all because I was just following my heart. I mean, I say that sometimes. And when I say it, I'm like, that's wrong. Don't say follow your heart. Because your heart, think about the things that go on in your heart that you want to do that you don't do. And that's what you want to tell kids and people? Oh, follow your heart. Have you ever believed with all your heart you were in love, but found out later the person was a jerk? Of course you have. We've all been through that. We, we believed it. Oh, my heart inside's telling me it's going pitter-patter when he or she's around, so this must be the one. It must be right. It's all because I feel it in my heart. Listen to what the Bible says about your heart. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? So truth can't be subject to me. Truth can't be something that changes from time to time. So since I can't be the standard, then we have to have a better standard, and that's Jesus. He is full of grace and truth. When he says to her, Go and leave your life of sin. He says that after he's offered her grace. And if you wonder why sometimes people don't change when we ask them to. Maybe it's because they haven't felt the grace that is truly what motivates people to change. So if you've got somebody in your life that you're thinking they need to change their ways. Try starting with grace instead of with truth. The truth is, yeah, they probably do. But what if you start with grace? You know, I, we don't know what happened to this woman after this. I doubt she went and jumped in bed with another man. Oh my gosh, how could you? You were at the, at the doorstep of death, deserving punishment. And the Lord said to you, I don't condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. I, I bet she did. I bet she stopped. That lifestyle when he said, don't live that way. But he earned the right to say that because he offered her grace. If you just speak truth and never grace, you're just a grouch. If you just speak truth to your kids and never offer them grace, why in the world would they respect what you have to say? That's just grouchy old mom, grouchy old dad. If, you're, if you've been hurt, and everybody in here probably has, if you've had conflict with another person, Try starting with grace. Now we're all humans. So that's not going to work 100% of the time. It'll work 100% of the time between you and God. But that won't work 100% of the time with people. You can offer grace perfectly. You can speak truth and love perfectly and still be rejected. But you don't have control over what the other person does. You do have control over what you do. So offer grace. Speak truth. Speak truth. And leave it at that. It's important that we get this. Because we have to understand that grace is what saves me. And makes me right before God. It's unmerited, unearned favor of God in heaven. But truth is what protects me. And keeps me faith. Keeps me safe. It keeps me protected in the grace that God has given me. Because just like this woman had. This group of accusers that came to her. And said. You're going to die. Because of what you've done. You also have an accuser. I have an accuser. The Bible talks about him as the evil one. And his job. Is the same job those religious leaders had with that woman. His job is to make us feel. Shameful. To make us feel Unworthy. To make us feel dirty. To make us feel like we're not worthy of the love that God offers. But God says to you. But your teacher Jesus says to you. Just like he said to her. I don't condemn you. I offer you grace. But stop sinning. Stop doing things that separate our relationship. Stop doing what you're doing. That makes you feel condemnation. That makes you feel dirty. That makes you feel rejected. There's a story told about C.S. Lewis. Who was one of the the greatest thinkers, writers, theologians of the 20th century. And he was at this conference that was talking about comparative religions. And the story is told. He's walking down the hallway. And there's this group of men talking. And they're trying to decide... What uniqueness does Christianity bring to the table with all the world religions? What's unique about Christianity? And he quipped, oh, that's easy. It's grace. That's it. That's what is unique about Jesus. He offers grace and he offers truth. He offers grace to save us, truth to protect us. And not only only can we have that. We can offer that to others who've hurt us and others that need to hear it. So as you're considering the words from our teacher this week, consider what you need to receive from God and what you need to give to others. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that your son is full of grace and truth. And how nothing we do makes you love us any more or less and you accept us. But you love us so much, you'll speak truth and you'll tell us when we need to change, when we need to live differently, and when we just need to stop sinning. God, thank you for that revelation that comes through the teachings of Jesus. I pray this in his name. Amen.